Welcome back to Cleric Swear Ringmail. I'm coming at you from my traditional studio, that is the CRV. Uh, the last couple episodes have been in the pilot, so you'll have to tell me if the audio is better, worse, or indifferent. Anyway, today we've got some more calls and some more conversation as they relate to healing in RPGs, to health potions, and to how those may impact the game, but more so, how do they reflect on you as the referee? Last time on Clerics Wear Ringmail. Hey Taylor, Daniel from Bandits Keep calling in. Um, I've only listened to the first 45 seconds of your uh, latest podcast, or the one from December 8th, uh, about health potions, and yep, I agree, they are pretty much the worst thing. The only thing that I put in the same category with them, at least personally, well, there may be other things, but off the top of my head, there's two things I do not like, health potions and bags of holding. So I look forward to seeing your reasons uh, and wondering if they line up with my own. And this time on Clerics Wear Ring Mail. Okay, finally got to finish the episode on health potions. And yeah, I think you make a lot of really good points. One thing that I often think about with ready access to healing as well is that it makes the game uh, kind of like a race, a really quick race, you know, uh, you leave the dungeon for a day, you come back fully healed. You leave the dungeon for the day, you come back fully healed. This kind of takes away another aspect of the game, which is this like gap of time in between, which things can happen. And not that you need to play that out, because I know a lot of people don't like to play out the downtime, but having that, having to make that choice, right? That should we go back to the dungeon now when I only have three quarters of my hit points, or should I wait another week and take a chance that you know, the enemy at the dungeon may have regrouped or another adventure party might have gone there and taken our treasure are, are real elements to think about. And I think having quick access to healing kind of removes that from the game on some level. <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind, uh, talking about a race dungeon game, that's, if you've played it before, a game called Descent. Descent actually is a lot of fun. I would recommend it. In short, you have a handful of characters with a handful of similar but different abilities, and it's a dice pool mechanic. You have some red dice, and I think there are some blue dice, and you roll them to see if you can kill monsters and grab treasure. And there's a basic advancement process. So as you complete missions and as you get treasure, then your character gets better. But as I recall, we, we got the special set that came out a handful of years ago, and my gaming buddies and I figured out very quickly that a lot of the monsters, they just weren't that scary, and uh, we were able to take advantage of the advancement system and min-max our way into invincibility, and so we just kind of hit the dungeon, split up and went in different directions, and then raced down each corridor seeing who was fortunate enough to hit the treasure first, which this experience was right before uh, Hasbro Watsi started publishing the D&D board game, adventure game type 
things. So recall, I think the first one, this was probably in the 4E era. I should really look up the dates, but the first one that came out was the Strahd one. So into the Castle Ravenloft. And one of the things about the Castle Ravenloft board game was if there was a monster on the board, when you activated, you activated every monster on the board. So we went in with our descent hats on, split up, went in every direction, aggroed about 12 ghosts, and then we're like, wow, they, they all activate? That's not balanced at all. That can't be right. Needless to say, that party did not survive Castle Ravenloft. But more on topic, downtime is a highly underrated activity. Like you said, you don't have to roleplay every minute of it. So you're not negotiating with the shopkeep or the bartender every day for 30 days while you're healing up. Instead, what I've got in mind is consumable magic. Magic users have the ability, straight out the gate, if I remember correctly, to start working on consumable magic. So you can brew one of those health potions that uh, we were talking about hating so much. It'll take you, uh, I think, a week or something to do it, or you can make scrolls, and it'll take time, a lot of time, and it's a gold sink, so some of that money goes away to make these magical consumable items that'll help the party, and more so, it's a time sink. So uh, while your fighter is healing, uh, or while your cleric is still working, your magic user can be buffing, preparing for the next round. Hmm. And as I'm talking this through, it comes to mind three big complaints with new folks to OSR-style gaming. One, my magic user doesn't feel very magical. He has one spell that he can cast. Two, what am I going to do with all this gold? I'm going to crash the local economy. We should go to Silver Standard. When three, why is my character level 20 at age 21? He should be older. Well... If you're playing the game by the book, you're spending a lot of that gold and using a lot of time to research spells and build those consumable magic items. And if you're carrying four scrolls in with you, that's four spells that you can cast that you weren't going to be able to cast just from sheer preparation. Hell, you can even pass one off to the thief. He may be able to pull it off too. It's almost like there's an answer to those problems in the game. Rules is written. Food for thought. One of the things that I've been working on for the OD&D with Chainmail combo, you know, turning it into an actual game, is the way that curing and healing is going to work. And um, right now I currently have it set on that it takes a full 24 hours for somebody to heal when this when a healing spell is cast upon them. But I'm thinking about making it something like uh, they heal at three times their normal rate or something to that effect until fully healed, but they must be resting. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Like, basically, they're blessed upon, so they heal quicker. Because you also get these scenes, you know, in movies and TV and also in books where, you know, something happens, they're feverish, you know, all that that time that goes down. Well, what happened when, when I was uh, unconscious? Again, that I think you can can add a lot of flavor to the game that really is instantly removed if you can just heal people super simply. So, yeah, really good episode. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. You are in the house of Elrond. And it is 10 o'clock in the morning, on October the 24th, if you want to know. On a gameplay note, I like the effect, the healing quickly as opposed to healing instantly. That would get rid of some of the popcorn hero where they're down, they're up, they're down, they're up, they're down, they're up, that some people complain about. 
truthfully, that never bothered me personally, but I know there are some folks that that breaks their immersion. Lots of opportunity for role play, lots of opportunity to drag a buddy out of the danger zone and uh, ride through the night to get to the healer's hut. Good opportunity to make a good story. Glad to hear the episode resonated, and good to hear your voice. Thank you, Daniel, for calling in. Oh, I also wanted to say that, uh, oh man, clipped off a piece of an antenna, tenai, I guess antennae, of a rust monster. That is one of the best items I've ever heard of, and I'm definitely putting that in a treasure stash or in the uh, pocket of some bandit that the player characters encounter at some point if they happen to uh, be able to take their loot, because that just sounds like an amazing thing. <laughs> Hopefully the the fighter with the plate mail armor isn't the one that reaches into the po- the pouch to pull it out with their gauntlet. <laughs> he gonna be a Michael Jackson fighter for a while. And man, what a terrifying missile weapon that would be too. Wooden crossbow bolts tipped with rust monster anthers. Ooh, spooky. Wait a minute. I had to pull a Norton and stop your episode. You don't enjoy the sci-fi movies that were released on there? Classics like 2005's Paradactyl? This is directed by Mark Lester. You know Mark Lester from such great movies as Class 1984, Firestarter, Armed and Dangerous, and of course, Commando, which is the essential 1980s action movie. Commando is the, the perfect action movie. But that said paradactyl where you have such clever things as character names like professor lovecraft and heinlein and bradbury you even have zelizinzi i can't even pronounce that name but we know who that is and there's a clark in there and of course we have coolio playing a special forces captain saying things like we have a saying in special ops and then we have giant paradactyls that are they've been I forget how they came about. They're unfrozen or something. Anyway, you have giant paradoxes going around, and they can hover like hummingbirds by flapping their wings, and their wings are sharp, so when they when they swoop by somebody, it beheads them. What more could you ask for in a movie, Taylor? I demand you explain yourself. It was a volcano. A volcano had uncovered some pterodactyl eggs, which hatched and then attacked some Turkish herders, if I remember correctly. That would be the same volcano that actually erupts near the end of the movie again and releases an Allosaurus. Uh, Then the credits roll, and I think they were setting themselves up for a sequel, but uh, the sci-fi channel was setting them up to be fired. That, or it was the Russians. I think there were some Russians involved somehow. But that's beside the point. Nope, definitely haven't seen it. Uh, Definitely haven't seen it twice. And I definitely didn't recognize it the second you mentioned the heads coming off as the pterodactyl swoops down with its razor-sharp wings. Now that I'm thinking about it, though, that has D&D Monster written all over it. Fly-by attack, stabbing stuff in the throat, good times. I love it. Throw that one in at your uh, cyberpunk people. You can have a cyber pterodactyl with razor wings. There's his name, Razorwing. I've missed my calling, Jason. I've missed my calling. Need to be running Cyberpunk or working at Sci-Fi. Hey, Taylor, Jason here. I 
the problem with removing clerics from the game is Jason Hobbs. Of course, I'm the other Jason compared to Jason Hobbs, if you ever listen to my theme song. Thank you for clarifying. There is, of course, Jason Prime, who does Hobbs and Friends, other Jason, who does Nerds Variety Cast, Tertiary Jason, who does Random Screed, Honorary Jason, who does Red Dice Diaries, and Quaternary Jason, who camps out at Crystal Lake. But the problem with removing clerics from the game is undead and all the other things that, you know, clerics are built in fundamental part of D and D and you can take them out, but then you're not playing D and D, which is okay. As long as you accept that. So I don't have an issue with that. Um, but it, they are a big given part of guy and D and D meant to help offset, um, undead. I mean, a first level, one of the reasons you survive first level is because magic users have sleep and clerics have turn undead. So something to think about, but, Interesting podcast. Look forward to hearing your next one. Merry Christmas to you and yours, and I hope to talk to you soon. Take care. Undead definitely are a lot scarier without a clearing, but they scale, as I recall. So at first level, you're pretty reliable about getting rid of skeletons. Uh, Second level, you're kind of reliable about getting rid of zombies. Uh, I'm in the car, of course, so I can't cross-reference the table, but where I'm going with this is you get a decent chance of offsetting a hit-die-appropriate undead based on your level, and then you kind of ignore the little guys. So by domain tier, a cleric is going to stomp face on skeletons, just kind of blow away a whole group of them to dust with that turning attempt. That definitely does make undead a lot scarier. And I actually like that idea. Undead should be scary. There are effects in the game, fear effects, that cause your character to flee to run away, and then there are punitive effects that cause your player to run away, a la Level Drain, which is the peer view, of course, of bigger undead. But the reason they had to put those in there is because of that offsetting feature. It's just the undead aren't scary by themselves. You have to have an absolute swarm of skeletons and have the to have the cleric turn them away and then still have to fight them and Undead are kind of a joke. Whenever I think of undead, I think about Jason and the Argonauts. Not the main story, but the Claymation 1960s special, where they dropped Hydra's teeth into the soil, I believe, and skeleton warriors sprang up and Jason had to do battle. A brilliant piece of choreography on a film that probably cost a buck fifty, but turned into a classic at my house. That is, of course, Jason and the Argonauts, 1963, directed by Don Chaffee. Chaffee? I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Movie is OSR as fuck. Love that movie. Makes me want to adventure every time. Back on task. You're absolutely right. It makes Undead a lot bigger as a threat. It makes Undead something to worry about a lot more, especially some of the swarm types that might be offset by a cleric. I seem to remember a buddy of mine in college ran an awesome, awesome uh, undead apocalypse medieval style game where he had to limit the number of clerics in the party because turning was the biggest thing they wanted to do. Uh, It was a very great, great story that came out of that game. I did not get to play in it. But at the same time, if you had a cleric and you were looking at, say, the uh, Mall of the Dead or whatever scenario, would that even happen? And the answer is probably no. So, I 
personally don't think I would remove clerics from my game. I would just curtail some of the healing like Daniel was talking about doing a couple messages ago. Or, and here's an idea that came out of a MeWe comment, make clerics a off-scene thing. Player characters don't play them. You have that healing factor. You get back in the dungeon, but you don't bring the cleric with you. I'm kind of going off on a lot of tangents at the moment, but that's okay. To conclude, I have nothing against clerics. I actually really like clerics as a concept. It's just the implementation of the cleric, what they've grown into over the years. That's what I had taken umbrage with. Great stuff. Food for thought. Thank you for calling in. Taylor, so here's a thought that popped into my head after listening to your last episode. And by the way, I think your show is way more than decent. <laughs> anyway, you were talking about how you've been in a bunch of conversations about getting rid of clerics and how you don't really like clerics because they're a heel bot and everything. But then, then you said you're playing a cleric in Hobbs's game. So here, here's my question. Here it is. Are the people that you're talking to that are all about getting rid of clerics are they primarily dungeon masters mostly referees judges whatever you want to call them because a thing that i see in a lot of these old school focused conversations is a lot of this stuff sounds a lot more fun from the dm side than it does from the player's side right like yeah clerics are a pain in the ass maybe when you're running a game but when you're playing you're playing a cleric. So anyway, man, that's my question. Great show. Peace out. That is a good observation. And in response to said observation, almost every one of those conversations is preceded with my players this or in my world that. So a direct answer. Most of those conversations are with other dungeon or game masters. And I absolutely hear you on the fun for a DM piece. There's fun for the player, fun for the DM, fun for the table, fun for theory, and those are four totally different things, sometimes. Personally, I like to have, when I'm running a game, I like to have fun, and I like to have my players have fun. In the OSR in general, there is a contingent of people who will vehemently speak to it's not the responsibility of the referee to ensure that you have fun as a player. Which, I agree with the letter of the law. It is not my responsibility for the player to have fun. However, that doesn't preclude that I enjoy it. I really get a kick out of it when players talk about my game outside of game time. I really get a kick out of it when they tell me this is awesome, when can we play again? That makes me feel like I've spent my time well. Similarly, there is nothing wrong with setting up the sandbox, so to speak, in a way that you know your players will jump into it. I would get called a heretic in the OSR circles if I outlined how I used to do campaigns. When I would do a trad campaign, I would set the world up, I would set up a hex map, sometimes a grid, usually a hex map because I was a hipster like that. But more importantly, I would set it up and I would put out bullet points. I would usually have eight bullet points of major things that were going on, something that was going on in the world, and then I would have four bullet points per player. And those, each of those bullet points, they weren't 
They weren't a script. They were hooks. They were hooks that I knew the player was going to take based on how I knew the, what the player liked and based on what I knew their character said or what they said their character was going to be. But I'm going on a tangent. There exists a contingent of people who says it's not your responsibility for the players to have fun. And in principle, that's true, but it doesn't hurt if your players have fun because if your players are not having fun, how long are you going to have a table? And what I think those people actually mean is that you don't change the world to suit the player satisfaction. You don't fudge dice. If the players are attacking the lair of a level 17 demi-lich, then you don't make him level 5 just so that they can have a chance at beating him. No, you let them get their face smashed in because they didn't do their research. And that I agree with. Uh, just because the players have an idea doesn't mean it works. If they have a good idea, it may have a better chance of working, but at the same time, a dude in plate is always going to sink. It doesn't matter how well you describe swimming. At the same time, there is a misery cult. There is a group of people who see the OSR as the dark souls of RPGs. It's super hard mode. You're going to get killed over and over until you get good. I don't really ascribe to that. It's true. Uh, I had a... Spoilers to follow. I had my cleric in Hobbs's game get killed last week. <laughs> on Saturday, uh, we checked for traps on a container, but then inside the container there were scroll cases. We did not check for traps on the scroll cases. I didn't think about it, and boom, exploding runes. I killed six party members. Uh, I'll link the YouTube video so you can see for yourself, but there's, uh, there's definitely something, something to be said for character morbidity, but there's a group of people in the OSR who really like that morbidity. There's this, I called it a cult earlier, it's a, a glutton for punishment kind of group who sees the OSR as a way to abuse their players. I'm not saying that everybody who wants to remove clerics is a member of the, of the pain cult. I think that most of them just want to do away with the uh, cleric problem that I referenced earlier. Why would a cleric of a good deity be in the dungeon in the first place? Shouldn't they be out feeding the sick and healing the hungry? But Speaking of that, you have to think about what kind of deities would be in this game world. One of the things that we as players tend to be bad about doing is divorcing the game world from the real world. When people talk about immersion, I don't know if that's what they mean, but typically that's what I mean. We have a problem with injecting ourselves into the character and thinking inside the cultural context of the game world rather than the cultural context that we grew up in. And while that can manifest in a dozen different ways, the biggest one is in the cleric. With deities, with gods, we're jaded by real god. And real god is awesome. Real god is the guy who says, hey, there's nothing that can separate you from my love. Not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not present, not future, not heavenly powers, not height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Real God is awesome. Real God is the kind of God who would write stuff down like the ones who closely follow the messenger, the liter the whom they find written in their presence, commanding them to beneficence, forbidding them from malevolence, and ridding them of their shackles. Real God is the kind of guy who says, 
See, the Sovereign Lord comes with power and rules with a mighty arm. He tends his flock like a shepherd and gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I picked those verses, English translations, out of the Torah, the Quran, and the Bible. See if you can pick out which is which. But the purpose of the podcast is not comparative religion. The reason I picked them out like I did is because I wanted to point out a consistent and pervasive sense that God is on your side. That is a cultural thing, characteristic of the modern era. There was a neat little video, I'll see if I can link it also, that talked about the Mesopotamian states. And although it got the Abrahamic traditions painted a little wrong in a side quip the fellow makes at the beginning, he does make a fairly astute observation that in Mesopotamia, during the early Bronze Age, the deities were not benevolent. It was more demons in the night that you made sacrifices to so that they wouldn't come and eat your children. Those are the kind of deities that inhabit the sword and sorcery appendix in roots of the OSR experience. The original Greyhawk had St. Cuthbert, but Gygax himself was very reluctant to inject real-world religion into the game, and if I remember correctly, he didn't quite get why other people wanted so much investment in the religion of the characters. At his table, they were treated more as pawns. Moreover, it eliminates the need to explain why a good cleric would be in the dungeon pulling gold out of the coffers. Some folks solve this problem by pointing to the Papal States or the post-Holy Roman Empire epoch, where you have popes with land holdings and uh, declaring wars and leading lines of succession. It's very strange that you have lines of succession for a job that requires celibacy, but again, that's what people point to. That's the kind of environment you can create. But if you dig down into the depths of the inspirational material, what you're going to find is much more chthonic than Christ-like. And as you may have guessed by the nature and tone of the podcast so far, I'm a big fan of real-world God, but I recognize that the inclusion of real-world God in my games doesn't do either of them justice. I'm not separating them. I'm not embarrassed of one or the other by any means. It's just, it's ice cream and lasagna. You take two things that you really enjoy, and sometimes when you mix them together, it doesn't taste the way you expect. For that reason, I'm not saying that you can't have a real-world, good-style fictional religion in your D&D campaign. You can have those good and charitable campaigns. You can have those paladin archetypes and make it into a good story and a good experience. But if you want to play a dungeon crawler where the goal is to pull gold out of the ground and stab goblins in the face, then you're probably better off having invented the god of doing blow and begging your secretary and calling it a day. That cleric sounds like someone I would invite to a party. A dungeon exploration party, of course. To that end, I apologize if I misspoke. I think clerics are awesome. From the perspective of the player, a cleric as a class is awesome because it allows you to keep the party moving and to get them back on their feet more rapidly to get back into the action. 
and it's an opportunity for role play. It's an opportunity to immerse yourself in the world and to really dig deeply into the lore. From the perspective of the referee, clerics are also awesome because it's an opportunity to drop hooks and rumors in on your party and keep the adventure going. You'll never have a boring moment if you have a cleric, or sometimes a paladin, on whose head you can drop a potential adventure. What I do take umbrage with is the overemphasis on particular aspects of a cleric that can lead towards a destructive tendency to the core gameplay loop. And the game loses large chunks of stuff that I find really enjoyable. To that end, if I ever run a game, you're welcome to play a cleric in it. And thank you, Joe, for calling in. But I do believe my secretary page me. She's got an eight ball for me back at the rectory. Peace out, my man. Peace out. Merry Christmas, my man. I hope you're having a wonderful day with your friends and your family. I hope 2021 ends up real, real nice for you. And I hope that 2022 brings you amazing stuff. And I wish you nothing but the best. You're a super solid dude. And I think you're pretty rad. So have a wonderful day. And I'll talk to you soon. I can't wait to look into your new adventure. I've already downloaded it. And I can't wait to dive into it. Peace out. Thank you very much, good dude. I certainly hope Christmas treated you as well as it treated me, though, based on listening to your last couple episodes, I do believe it did, and that makes me happy. My family was in Georgia and I was not. My aunt, who is local to where we are, came over. Uh, One of the boys sat with her and made her draw lawnmowers on an Etch-a-Sketch for a while, and my wife didn't have any pregnancy problems that day, no discomfort, no dehydration, nothing like that. We took us all day to open gifts because the boys just wouldn't focus. It was great. It's the way Christmas is supposed to be. They were able to latch on to something important, and that is you take what you have and you appreciate it and you run with it. And then when more comes along, that's just more joy to be had. That Earth Toddler ADD one or the other. Thank you again, my man, and I was very tempted to keep this message in my queue and listen to it just for me, but I'll share it here and share it publicly to say Merry Christmas to you too, and I hope the new year brings more gaming, more podcasting, and more awesome stories to tell. And that's for you, Joe, and for you, listeners. May 2022 be better than 2021. And that's a wrap. That's a wrap on the episode. We got to talk about clerics. We got to talk about magic and healing and all that fun stuff. And it's a wrap on the year. I do believe this is the last one that I'm going to be getting out. So, assuming that it pops out when I think it's going to, Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, It should be rolling in. I hope that your Christmas, uh, Christmas, the 12 days of it is starting on the 25th and continuing to Epiphany. Uh, Everyone knows that, of course, so I hope you're continuing. Christmas is going well, and Happy New Year. Looking forward to seeing everybody in 2022. Delve on, listeners. Delve on.
Theme music used for the Clerics Wearing Mail podcast is adapted from Pursuing Darkness by artist X Take Rocks, released into the public domain and made available on freemusicarchive.org. Sound effects used in the making of this product retrieved from mixkit.co, used under the Mixkit Sound Effects free license, or from soundjay.com and used in accordance with the soundjay.com terms of use. Segments recorded within a vehicle are recorded using a Bluetooth hands-free device in conjunction with local vehicular safety legislation. The Clerics Wearing Mail podcast is an independently owned and operated product released for educational and informative purposes under the Totally Steal This license, which is kind of like Creative Commons, except licensing. Clerics Wearing Mail does not ascribe to nor endorse views or opinions expressed by Collins, guests, or even the host, unless you think they're awesome, and thus does not assume any liability regarding the consumption or distribution of this podcast. By listening to the Clerics Wearing Mail podcast, you agree to the provided term. Parties with questions regarding these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to reach out to Clerics Wearing Mail at the prescribed methods provided on the Clerics Wearing Mail blog. Parties dissatisfied with these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to go suck an egg.